All right, 11.59. Glad to be here? Yes? All right, well, I'm glad to be here with you. Congratulations, you are the most lively group of the day. You win the award. We don't have anything for you. You just get to walk out of the room with your head held high this morning, knowing that you were better than the 9 and the 10.30 today, all right? We won't tell them that, but uh, it's good stuff. Well, hey, I want to ask you, if you will, grab your Bibles, or if you have a phone or device with a Bible app on it, grab it, and let's go to Mark chapter 11 together. Mark chapter 11. Um, Today, we start a brand new series called Here to There. And uh, this series is a seven-week study on the last week of Jesus' life here on the earth. And um, what you're going to find over the next seven weeks is this. Each day of Jesus' final week of life here on the earth represents for us a different life-changing truth about God's plan to move us as his people, people he's created and people that he loves from where we currently are in our lives to the place that he ultimately wants us to be. And so um, I want to ask a question as we get started with that in mind, and there's no need to raise your hands or to yell out or anything like that. Just be honest with yourselves, okay? Here's the question. How many of us in the room right now would say that we're exactly where we want to be in all areas of life? Think about that. Like how many of us, we roll out of you know, bed in the morning, feet hit the floor. We have our dream job. Financially, we're free. All of our relationships are awesome and healthy, physically best shape that we've ever been in in our entire lives. And emotionally, we wake up and we're stress-free, worry-free. I mean, we're just happy, joyful people. How many of us in the room right now would say, if we were honest with ourselves, that we're in the greatest place of our lives ever. We're exactly where we want to be. Now, if you're here and you say, that's you, like if I just described you, I'm tempted to call you up and to give you the microphone so that you can tell us all your secrets. But I'm not going to do that because this service could get really weird really quick depending on who walked up here. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know those people, don't be offended and don't be shy. You know that person in the room and don't point at them. But if they walked up here, the service would go backwards in a hurry, right? Um, So instead, I just want to ask you, be honest with yourself. Are you where you want to be in all areas of life? I would assume that the majority of us and maybe even all of us would answer that question, no. No, we're not. And I don't think it's because we don't want to be. Like, I think all of us, we want our relationships to be great, want to have a great job, want to feel financially free, want to feel physically and emotionally healthy and happy. So if that's true, the big question we need to wrestle with is this. Why aren't we, as people, where we truly want to be in all of these different areas of our lives? And I think this morning, if we pass the microphone around the room, we could come up with a lot of different reasons, um, a lot of different excuses uh, to try and answer that question. But I think there's an answer that probably captures most of the reason, reasons and excuses we might offer. Now, I'll give a disclaimer. I'm not saying all, okay? Your situation may be a little bit different than some of us. But I'm saying I think the answer I'm going to offer captures most of the reasons and excuses we would offer as to why we aren't where we want to be in all areas of our lives. Okay, here's the answer. I think most of us are where we are in life because it's easier for us to stay where we are, which we'll say is our here, 
than to put in the necessary work to do what we need to do in order to move where we truly want to be, our there, if you will. And I'll give you some examples. Um, All of us want to see our abs, don't we? I mean, dude, you know that they're under there somewhere. And it'd be awesome to see them, but isn't it way easier to come home from like school or work at the end of the day and to grab a bowl of ice cream and to just watch reruns of The Office like all night long? It's way easier to do that, isn't it? Um, For those of us who wish our relationships were awesome and great, isn't it so much easier to keep our distance, to not say what needs to be said, to maybe not go to counseling, to pretend like nothing is broken? It's easier. Um, For those of us that we go, I hate what I'm doing in my job, Uh, I look at my bank account and I get depressed, like, Isn't it easier to not go back to school, to not rewrite resumes, to not put together a debt payment plan, to just keep buying more stuff that you really don't need? It's way easier to do that, right? It's easier to stay in our here's than it is to move toward our there, where we actually want to be. Now, don't miss what I'm going to say, okay? This same thing can be true for all of us when it comes to our spiritual lives, This very same thing can be true of every single one of us in the room as it relates to us actually becoming the people God created us and designed us to be. You see, listen, I'm convinced when I read this book that every single one of us in the room this morning, and even if you're here and you're new and this whole church God thing is like foreign to you and you're trying to figure the God thing out, like I'm still convinced that somewhere deep inside of you, you want to believe that you're alive for a reason. Like you wanna believe that your life matters. You wanna believe that your life counts. Like I'm convinced deep down inside of you, you want to believe that there's this God out there who created you with a purpose and a plan in mind and that your life is supposed to be lived on purpose for a purpose much greater than things that you see right in front of you. Like I'm convinced of that, but, but listen, I get that it's easier for you to wake up every single day and to shrug off those feelings about God and life and purpose and meaning and to simply buy into what our world sells us, which is live for yourself, pursue what you want, don't worry about the God thing, um, do whatever makes you happy and put all your hope and joy in temporary things that this world has to offer. Like I get that that's the easier choice to make. Now, listen, if you're here and that's kind of where, we're, where you're, you're living these days. I just want to go ahead and be insanely clear about the goal and purpose of this series, okay? Over the next seven weeks, like my heart and my goal is to convince you that when it comes to you becoming the person that God created you and designed you to be, like I am trying my hardest to convince you that if you stay in your here, where you are spiritually, and you refuse to take steps to get to that place where you become the person God wants you to be, that it's going to result in nothing more than you wasting your life. Like I want you to walk out of here over the next seven weeks believing that even though it may be uncomfortable and risky at times to take those steps to become the person God wants you to be, that remaining where you are can no longer be an option for you. Like, I'm praying that God, through this series, he would turn some of our lives upside down. I'm praying that some of us would find faith in Jesus for the first time. I'm praying that marriages and relationships would be restored. And I'm praying for some of us that we'd finally understand what it means and what it feels like to truly walk 
and live in the freedom that Jesus Christ can offer us. That is what I'm praying over this church for the next seven weeks. So with all that in mind, I want us to go to Mark chapter 11. And this morning, we are going to talk about what happened on the very first Sunday of Jesus' last week here on the earth. And we're also going to talk about the implications that this day carries for all of our lives. So if you already have your Bible open, your app open, look at Mark 11, starting in verse 1. If you don't have anything, we'll throw all the verses on the screens and you can follow along there. All right, let's pick up. Here's what the Bible says. Now when they, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. So they went away, they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are, you, uh, what are you doing untying the colt? They're looking at these guys going, why are you stealing our donkey is the question that they have. And these guys look back and they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, let's talk through what's happening in this passage so we don't miss anything, okay? What we just read told us that Jesus, along with his disciples, they are entering the city of Jerusalem, and they're doing so at the beginning of the Passover week, okay? Um, the Passover for the Jewish people was a week-long celebration in which they would gather in the city of Jerusalem, and they would celebrate the fact that hundreds of years earlier, God had freed their ancestors from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. If you want to read that story, go back to the book of Exodus and you'll find it. It's a fantastic story. And so history tells us that literally hundreds of thousands of Jewish people would gather in the city to celebrate Passover together and to make sacrifice for their sins in the temple. And so Jesus, he's entering the city on this Sunday and he's doing so with thousands of other people. And it's interesting. He, he decides to enter the city in a very specific and very particular way. Did you catch it? He decides he's going to ride in on a donkey. Now, for those of us that you're sitting here going, dude, I knew church was weird, like, but I didn't, like, I didn't get that. Like, what's the donkey thing about? Um, let me tell you what the donkey thing is about, okay? If you go back to the Old Testament scriptures, over 350 times God promised his people that he was going to send a savior into the world to free them from what kept them distant from him. So in other words, he promised them over 350 times, one day I'm going to send a savior into the world, a Messiah, and he's going to fix this sin issue in your lives that keeps you distant from me. He's going to come in, rescue you, free you, and restore you back to a right relationship with me, the God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who calls you my own. And so um, here's one of the prophecies from Zechariah 9, verse 9, that God gave his people concerning that Savior, that Messiah. Listen to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on what? A donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So I want us to do this. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of these Jewish people that were hanging out around Jesus on this Sunday, okay? Imagine you're there and you know your Bible well. And the reason you know your Bible well is because as a Jewish kid, you grew up going to Torah school. You spent time not with coloring books and trying to write your ABCs, but learning the Old Testament inside and out. You knew your Bible well. And then you spent your entire life since then going to synagogue every Sabbath and hearing the Old Testament scriptures taught. So you knew these 350 plus promises in which God had told you, I'm gonna send somebody, he's gonna come, he's gonna be your king, he's gonna be your savior, he's gonna fix things between you and me. And specifically, you knew about this prophecy from Zechariah 9, which told you when he comes, he's going to come to you as a humble king riding on a donkey. So imagine again, you're there, you're in this crowd of people, and you've heard about Jesus before, right? Like you've heard about him healing the lepers. You've heard about him casting out demons, causing the blind to see and the lame to walk again. Like there have been whispers between friends of, is he the guy? Is he the one? I don't know. I mean, have you heard him teach? He teaches like no one else I've ever heard with such authority. He goes around saying he can forgive people's sins. Like you're in this crowd and you know all this. And all of a sudden you look up and here comes Jesus riding into the city gates for Passover week on the back of a donkey. I mean, just imagine light bulbs start going off. God said this was gonna happen. That's him, that's him. And how do the Jewish people respond? Well, the Bible says they start throwing their cloaks down on the road. To throw your cloak before another person meant that you were submitting yourself to them and surrendering your life to them. They start throwing palm branches on the road and waving them as Jesus rides in as a sign of victory. They're shouting at Jesus, Hosanna, which means save us, save us, save us. So they're cheering Jesus on and celebrating him as their king. Now, listen, when you first read that and you hear that, you go, man, that's awesome. Man, these people, they must have gotten it. Like, they must have understood exactly who Jesus was and exactly what he was coming into Jerusalem to do for them, which was ultimately, and we'll talk about this later in this series in detail, but it was ultimately to lay his life down for them on a cross so that their sins could be erased. And again, they could know God very personally, again, as his own people, the same that's true of us Today, So it seems like that, but when you dig deeper into this passage and you pay attention to the other days of Jesus' last week here on the earth, it starts to become really clear that this crowd is not celebrating Jesus on this Sunday because they believe he's there to save them from their sins, but instead they're celebrating Jesus on what we call as Palm Sunday because they believe he's there to save them from the Romans. Now, quick history lesson to explain that. Um, during the time of Jesus, Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire didn't just rule them, they oppressed them heavily. They put political systems in place to oppress the Jewish people, which meant the few ruled over the many, and they did so with an iron fist. They put economic systems in place to oppress the Jewish people, which meant they put heavy taxes on the backs of the people, and they would come and confiscate land anytime they wanted, and they did it for the purpose of sustaining their empire. Now, the worst part of this was they blamed the whole thing on God. They pulled the God cart, and they 
card, card out and they told the Jewish people the reason these systems are in place is simple. God intended them to be in place. He is the one that put these systems in place and we're just trying to do what he wants. And so they told the Jewish people, it's his fault, not ours, that you're living like this. So imagine the animosity and the tension that existed between the Jewish people and the Roman officials. And so again, when these people alive during the time of Jesus, when they're thinking about this promise of God sending them a savior, their natural thought process takes them toward God's gonna send us someone to free us from this oppressive system. Like God's gonna send a political savior, a military king, and he's gonna come into Jerusalem and he's gonna free us from all this oppression we know and we're gonna be able to live a life much differently than this again. I mean, we see this thought process reflected in the fact that when Jesus is coming into the city, the people are shouting, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father who? David. And you know who David was? He was the great king of of, uh, Israel. He he was the guy who's... um, Under his rule, he was a great political, great military king, and the Jewish people knew freedoms that they had never known before. So their assumption is, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to be another David for us. So don't miss this. These people are celebrating Jesus, not because of what he's actually coming to do for them. They're celebrating him because of what they assume he's coming to do for them. And if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, well, James, do you know that for sure, 100%? Yeah, I do, and here's how. Because these same people celebrating Jesus on Sunday, Jesus, we submit our lives to you. You're Hosanna, save us. These are the same crowds of people that at the end of the week, five days later on Friday, are shouting and cheering for the death of Jesus. When they realized he wasn't there to do for them what they wanted him to do, he became useless to them. Now, let me bring us into this, okay? Here's the sad reality of the world in which we live. And I'll even take it a step further and say the country in which we live because I think this mindset is rampant here in our country. Um, And let me say this too. I'm not about to describe a bunch of people who exist outside the walls of the church building. Like I'm about to describe people that live here um, each week, not just here but in all churches across America. There are a lot of people that live around us that are exactly like these people in Mark 12, and maybe it's even some of us in the room today, who are fine with following Jesus, loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, submitting to Jesus, as long as Jesus does exactly for them what they think that he should do for them. Like, and I'll give you some examples so that you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? Um, There are people, and I've been in church ministry a long time, and so I've seen this play out time and time again. There are people who say things like, I'll love and follow Jesus as long as the bills are paid, right? And they may not say it with their mouths, but they say it with their lives and with their reactions to life circumstances. I'll love and follow Jesus as long as I have a good job. I'll love and follow Jesus as long as I stay healthy and the people I love stay healthy. Um, I'll love Jesus as long as I can have nice stuff and I can keep my stuff and he doesn't ask me to give up my stuff. I'll love and follow Jesus as long as tragedy doesn't strike and life stays pretty easy, right? People walk around with this mindset of I'll love and follow Jesus if Jesus does what I want him to do so that I can stay comfortable and that I can stay happy. But if life goes bad, like I'm out, right? I don't need that kind of king. I don't need that kind of savior. So Jesus, listen, I'll follow you if you do this for me. It runs rampant where we live, that mindset. 
Now, let me talk about it. That mindset, you have to know, it's insanely unbiblical. And it's unbelievably prideful and selfish. And it's unbelievably dangerous. And you want to know why it's dangerous? Because it proves that you have no idea what Jesus Christ came to this earth to do in your life. And it proves that you're in danger of walking away from him at any moment if, in fact, life doesn't go your way. Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to say, okay? Stay with me because there's a lot to still press into. But listen to this. I need you to know that Jesus has never promised any of us that if we'll surrender our lives to him, worship him as God, put our faith in him as savior, he's never promised consistent and constant happiness while we're here on the earth. Like you get that, right? And listen, I know that there are preachers out there who might say something different and God bless them, I'm just gonna say they're lying to you, okay? Um, Here's why they're lying, because Jesus himself told us in John 16, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Even as my follower, life's going to go bad for you at times. Things aren't always going to go at plan, as planned. And there are going to be seasons of life in which, man, you have never faced what you are facing. You don't know how you're going to make it through. There's going to be brokenness and despair. It's going to be tough at times, even if you give your life to me. So here's the big question. If that's true... Why in the world should you give your life to Jesus? Like, if that's true of Jesus, what motivation should you have for loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus and following Jesus and submitting your life to Jesus? Well, it's simple because Jesus has promised and committed to do something for us as people that he loves that we could never do for ourselves and that no one else can ever do for us. You know what that is? It's not to make us happy. Here's what it is. It's to make us holy. That's Jesus' commitment to us. Now, I want to explain what I mean by that. And at the end, I want to tie this idea of holiness back in to this idea of happiness and talk about how they intersect, all right? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write some of this stuff down. First and foremost, Jesus promises that if we submit our lives to him, if we love him and worship him and follow him, that he is committed to making us holy before God that he is committed to making us holy before God. Listen to what Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, speaking of Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Speaking of God the Father. Listen to me, church. These verses point to the greatest need that any of us have as human beings. And what is that? It is to be able to stand before God one day, the God who created us, and to be seen by him as holy, perfect, blameless, sinless people. And the reason for that is simple. It's because God is all those things, right? He is holy, he is perfect, he is blameless, he is sinless, and you and I are none of those things. And here's the deal with God, because he's all of those things, he can't have relationships with people who aren't also those things. Like, I need you to know this morning that God doesn't have relationships with good people. He has relationships with holy people. God doesn't have relationships with moral people. He has relationships with perfect people. So that puts us in a really bad spot, doesn't it? 
because I don't think any of us want to come up to the stage today and argue about how holy and sinless and perfect we are, right? If anything, we could all share stories today of how jacked up we are and how we've blown it time and time again and how we're very imperfect. Now listen, this is exactly why we need Jesus so much. Because Jesus is the only one who can make us into the kind of people that we need to be so that we can be fully loved and fully accepted by God. You see, when Jesus was here, he lived a perfect, sinless life. And Jesus is able to give us his perfection and his sinlessness so that God sees us like he sees him. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died so that our sin could be erased and removed for us and so that God would never have to hold us accountable for all the mistakes and all the sin we've ever committed. He did that so that he could make us into holy, sinless, blameless people so that he could walk us into the presence of God one day and say, here's Joe, I died for him. Isn't he perfect? Isn't he lovely, right? And God's going, absolutely, I see him just like I see you. Like That's what Jesus is able to do for us. He's able to make you a new person in the sight of God. And I need you to know as well, he does that for you as a free gift from him to you. Which means that you can be the most jacked up person in this room this morning and it doesn't matter. Like you could be the person who walked in this place and you thought the building was going to catch on fire because you were actually coming to church. You could be the most jacked up person, have the most jacked up story, have the most insane sinful plans for this afternoon when you leave here, and Jesus still wants you to come to him just like you are and to give him all of what's wrong with you so that he can take it and destroy it and remove it and make you a person who can be fully loved and accepted by God. That's what he wants to do. You have to come, you have to ask him for it. You don't have to ask him for it 18 times. You don't have to keep getting saved. Like once he does it for you, it is done once and for all. You are forever perfect in the sight of God. Church, this is good news. And listen to me, this is why we love Jesus. And this is why we worship Jesus. And this is why we surrender our lives to Jesus. It's not because we're healthy and our bills are paid and life is sunshine and rainbows all the time, right? We love and follow Jesus because he's the only one able to take us as sinful people who deserve hell and to make us into perfect people in the sight of God. That's why we love Jesus so much. And that's his commitment to you if you give him your life. He'll do that for you before you leave today if you don't know him. Um, The second way that Jesus commits to making us holy, he doesn't only want to make us holy before God, but he wants to make us holy before others. Now, let me say before I explain what that means, Jesus doesn't commit to making us holier than thou before others. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like Jesus' plan for our lives is not to take us and to transform us into um, good, moral, religious, churchy people who walk around and make everybody else feel guilty and bad for the way that they're doing their life. That's not what he has in mind for us. When I say he wants to make us holy before other people, here's what I mean. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, and you read verses 26 and 27, the Bible tells us that when God created us, all of us, male and female, that he created us in his image. 
which means that you and I have been given life by God in order to live in this world and to bear his image before others. Our lives should serve as a reflection of who God is and all that he is to those around us. That's why you're living. That's why you're breathing today. Like that's God's plan for your life. And so let's see how much you've been listening and how smart you are. If God is sinless and if God is perfect, what is the one thing that prevents us from truly reflecting who he is to the world around us? What is it? Sin, right? Dude, again, 1159, you're on it quicker and louder than both of the other services combined. You, you guys, lunch on Heath, okay? He's <laughs> buying lunch. Um, I'm kidding, bro. Uh, no, but sin, right? If God is sinless and if God is perfect, then what prevents us from truly reflecting him and bearing his image accurately and showing the world who he is through the way we live our lives, the one thing that causes us to not do that well is our sin. It's our imperfections. And what I want you to know this morning is this is that Jesus is committed to invading your life and to transforming you and to changing you back into a person who is able to bear the image of God again. Like he wants to take your life and he wants to put himself on display through you to others around you. So you have to know that Jesus is committed to ripping sin away, to removing shame, to removing guilt, to perfecting your imperfections. That's what he wants to do in your life. So again, the world can get a clear picture of who God is through your life. Like he wants to change you so dramatically that when people see you, they don't even see you, they just see him in you. That's what he wants to do for you. Again, it's why he died for your sins, so that your sins would have no power over you any longer. It's why when you put your faith in him as savior, he puts his very own Holy Spirit inside of you so that you can wake up every day and you can kill your sin. You can put it to death. That's what he's committed to doing in your life. And so I just need you to know this morning that if you're going to give your life to Jesus, that's the purpose that he wants you to live for. Now, it doesn't mean that you're always going to be perfect, right? It doesn't mean you're not going to fail and you're not going to fall. It just means that the more you follow Jesus and the more you press into him and the more you know him and the more you seek to love him and to pursue him, the more Jesus is going to continue to change you, transform you, and use your life to point people back to who God is. Beautiful, right? So here's the big question. If that's true of Jesus, how does that relate to, to happiness? Like going back to the happiness thing. If his commitment is to work holiness out in your life, where does the whole happiness piece come in? Um, I want to say something to you, and some of you guys are going to get what I'm about to say as soon as it comes out of my mouth. I want you to know this morning that Jesus working holiness out in your life is not always a happy process. Like some of you get that, don't you? Like some of you in the room, here's your story. Your story is I was broken and I was hurting and I was discouraged and I was addicted and I was abandoned and I was abused and I was in the darkest place I'd ever known in life and God let me hit rock bottom so that I would have no excuses to look up and to reach out to him. Like you found faith in the most broken season of your life and God let you go there so that he could invade your life and Jesus could make you holy so that you could be loved and accepted by him. Like some of you get, it wasn't happy all the time, but it led you to knowing God very personally in a very real way. 
Some of your stories are, I placed my faith in Jesus, and man, life has been hell since I've done that. Right? Like relationships have fallen apart. I lost my job. I lost my business. My dog died. My favorite TV show got canceled, right? Like some of your stories are, I gave my life to Jesus, and no one told me it was going to be this tough. But as you look back on those seasons and in those moments where you face suffering and hardship, what you realize is that God used those times in your life and those tragedies and hardships in your life one of two ways, to either rip something out of you that was preventing you from truly reflecting him well to the world or to add something to you that would help you to truly reflect him to the world around you um, in a more real way. And so, listen, I just need you to know this morning that God is far greater committed to your holiness than he is your happiness. And that should be a good thing for all of us um, because his commitment to our holiness means that we're gonna know him deeper and we're gonna become more like him to the moment we see him face to face. That's his commitment to us. So practically, what do we do with this? Well, here's what we do. It's really simple. This morning, we examine our hearts and we ask ourselves, for those of us that would say we know Jesus, we examine our hearts and we ask ourselves, why did I give my life to Jesus? Why do I do this church thing? Why do I say to other people, I know Jesus, I love Jesus? Is it because you're hoping that Jesus is gonna come through for you in some way and make you comfortable and happy? Or is it because you were so blown away by Jesus' commitment to remove your sin and to make you holy and acceptable before God and to make you into a person who could truly live the purpose God created you for? You see, if you're here and you realize this morning that you gave your life to Jesus for all the wrong reasons and with all the wrong motivation, I just want to say pray this morning and do it for real. Like surrender and submit your life to God for the right reasons and come and ask Jesus to actually make you holy and to restore you back to God for real. Now, if you're here this morning, maybe you're that person who you know Jesus and you face suffering and face hardship and nobody ever told you about that stuff when they asked you to come follow him, And when you face that stuff, what it did is it didn't drive you to him, it drove you from him, right? That's some of our stories, possibly in the room. Like, we face hard times, and we said, if that's how he's going to be in my life, I don't want him, he's useless to me. I just want to invite you, come back today. Come, don't leave behind the only one who can do for you what you need to be done in your life I mean, don't walk away from that. You need Jesus desperately. And the good news is he's waiting on you, arms wide open, to take you in. Um, And then for those of us in the room who've never made a decision to trust Jesus, to ask him to make us holy before God and to change us into a new person, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning in just a moment. But I just want to close with some good and encouraging news, okay? Like, I realize that part of this message is kind of depressing, right? (laughs) I mean, a lot of it's really hopeful, but some of it's kind of depressing. Let me give you some good and encouraging news to leave on. There's coming a day for all of us in the room who know Jesus as our Savior, God, Lord. There's coming a day when holiness and happiness are going to be joined together in our lives, never to be separated from one another again. Right? And I'm talking about that day when you and I see Jesus face to face finally for the first time. You see, the Bible tells you and I 
as followers of Jesus, people who know Jesus, that we're going to see him face to face one day. And on that day, we're finally going to be like him. Not just going to be like him a little. We're going to be exactly like him, which means we are going to be completely sinless completely holy, completely blameless, completely perfect. It means for those of us, man, who just have deep sin issues that we don't know how to break or get rid of, whether it's addiction or pride or pornography or lust, there's coming a day if you know Jesus where you're going to wake up in his presence and you will never have to struggle with that thing again. You're going to be holy. You're going to be perfect. You're going to be like him. And listen, not only are you going to be like Jesus, but you're gonna be with Jesus in a place where sin is no more, where suffering is no more, struggle is no more, poverty is no more, injustice is no more, death is no more. You're gonna be in a place of full joy and full happiness and you'll live there forever. So I say that, that's good news, right? We can clap for that. So I just want to say to those of you in the room who are struggling, who are suffering, who are facing hardship, and to those of you who aren't there now, but you will be in the future, listen to me. Here's my advice. Hold on. Hold on. Don't walk away from Jesus. Press into him all the more. Let him carry you through. Be reminded that his strength is made perfect in your weakness, that when we humble ourselves before him, he will lift us up and he will exalt exalt us. He is the rock and comforter that we can call on in times of need. Just hold on to him during those times. And listen to me, I promise one day it will all be worth it. So church, I just want to invite you, if you will, to pray with me. And for those of you that don't know Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision right now. Father God, thank you for being a God who is so committed to what we desperately need in life, which is to be restored back to you, to be made in a holy, perfect, sinless people. God, we thank you that you're so committed to seeing that through in our lives that you sent your own son into the world to come after us, to lay down his life for us so that we could know you and be loved by you and be accepted by you both here in this life and in the next. God, I just pray for people in the room right now who've never made that decision to place their faith in Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. God, I pray that you just press into their hearts right now. God, that you'd make them so aware, God, of their need for you. If you are that person in the room this morning, you've never come to a place in your life where you've asked God to forgive you of your sins. You've never believed in Jesus and what he came to this earth to do for you. Right now in your seat, I just wanna ask you, if you need to make that decision, just say something like this to God right now in this moment in prayer. Just say, God, I know this morning I am in desperate need of you. God, I realize I'm a sinful person. I am imperfect. God, and I get that my sin and my imperfections is standing in the way of me knowing you. And it's standing in the way, God, of me living the life that you created me to live. And so, God, I'm coming to you this morning 
And I'm asking you, God, to remove my sin from me through Jesus. I believe Jesus laid his life down for me so that my sin could be erased and that I could be loved and accepted by you. So God, accept me this morning. Save me this morning. God, give me eternal life. I believe Jesus rose from the dead after he died so that I could have eternal life with you one day. And God, I'm asking you today, give that to me, God. God, restore me back to being the person that you created me to be. The Bible says if you'll believe and confess those things that are true about Jesus and true about you, that God will save you. That he'll put his own spirit inside of you. He'll start changing you from the inside out. And you can walk out of this place this morning hopeful about your future, knowing that no matter what happens from now to the end of your life, that if you leave this earth, you will spend eternity in the presence of God. Father, for the rest of us, just help us. Help us to have faith in you as our great God. Help us to persevere through suffering and hardship and oppression. Help us to not be like that Mark 11 crowd who only follows Jesus when things are easy and when it's comfortable and when we get something out of it. God, but help us to wake up every day mindful of the fact that Jesus laid his life down so that, God, we could be accepted by you, free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt. And I pray that that would just be enough for us to give our lives to him. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for first loving us. And we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus.